0: Welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. I'm your host, Nicholas Ripold. The Village Voice loomed large for me as a critic and as an editor. I think there's still some part of me that anticipates the new issue of The Voice sometime before the end of the week, ready for pickup in a red box on a street corner. The Village Voice I grew up with may be long gone, but it's been a joy to read and even work with my favorite critics who wrote there. For this episode, I'm honored to bring together three all-star alumni of The Voice to talk about movies. Manola Dargis is the co-chief film critic of The New York Times. She started writing about avant-garde cinema at The Voice early in her career. Amy Taubin is a contributing editor at Artform and Sight & Sound, and she wrote full-time at The Voice for 14 years. And Lisa Kennedy has written for The New York Times, Essence, American Theatre, Variety, and The Denver Post, on both film and theater. Before becoming a full-time writer, she was an editor at The Voice for a decade, editing pieces by Manola and Amy. This episode is something like a dream come true for me, and so I had to ask a little about their memories of The Voice before we talked about some recent highlights from their viewing. I'll also include a selection of their past work in The Voice in my next newsletter, and I encourage everyone to spend some quality time with the archives. Finally, my deep thanks. To Amy, Lisa, and Manola for taking the time to talk. Welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. This is an extra special episode that was a, a long time in the planning, and I'm so happy that it's all come together. For this episode, I have three all-star guests, um, and I'll introduce them in turn. Uh, we'll, alphabetically, we'll start with uh, Manola Dargis. Welcome, Manola.
1: Thank you for having me. Very excited about uh, this little party that we've uh, convened.
0: Yes, and, and next up is Lisa Kennedy. Hello, Lisa. Well, hey Nick.
2: Um, oh, that sounded like uh, the dating game or something. It's like, yeah. Of course, you couldn't have gotten two of my more, most favorite people together. So I'm. Really
0: <laughs> Last but not least, of course, is Amy Taubin. Hello, Amy.
3: Hello,
4: Nick. Hello, Lisa. Hello, Manola. And these are two of my favorite people who I will be with. Nick, you are a favorite person, but Manola and Lisa, long history, really. yes, fantastic.
0: And that's sort of the the was the sort of occasion for bringing you three together of, is the shared history at the village voice. I was just saying that I'm recording a separate introduction uh, for this, and I guess part of that is that i I didn't want to just be talking about how much the voice you know, meant to me, <laughs> um, it, you know, otherwise I'd be here just, you know, kind of gushing. But that's, that's sort of the, the connecting point. I would just love to hear about your shared history there and, you know, when you first crossed paths and what the kind of general timeline is for, for each of you working there.
4: I really don't have a sense of the timeline. I think <laughs> I was there slightly before Manola, uh-huh. but I had other editors before Lisa, became the film editor, and I will say right now that I think Lisa was in many ways the finest editor I've ever had, and I've had about a half dozen really great editors, but what Lisa did was something else entirely.
1: Yeah, I I would, uh, I think it's a Lisa Kennedy praise moment here, because I was like this little blob, you know, when I came in and I, I, I started at The Voice a uh, long time ago, uh, 87, I was in graduate school at NYU, getting my master's and I took a class with Jim Hoberman. He uh, recommended me to a previous film editor who I will not mention by name, uh, who's not <laughs> very nice to me. Lisa, I'd never had this kind of rigorous uh, editing before. And Lisa really, I feel like made me into an, into a writer honestly. And for that, I am grateful though. I'm sure there are a few directors who really are not happy with you, Lisa, but nonetheless, thank (laughs)
0: you. (laughs) And Lisa, when, what years were you there at at The Voice?
2: Well, I think I got there in 86 as a free uh, freelance copy editor and just kind of made my way along and, uh, and the first real opportunity that I had to pitch to go for a job was the film editor job where I had to do sort of a proposal and everything. And I remember it quite well, but, you know, I inherited. It. It's a little bit like getting the keys to the kingdom or keys to, you know, this amazing car. And you're like, how does a stick shift work? And uh, and <laughs> because, you know, Amy and Manola were already there. And, you know, and Jim was, Jim Hoberman was there. And these were the writers that I got to spend time with. And I'm glad, I'm, I think that I'm probably even now a very intuitive editor in a lot of ways, but I believe in writers and I believe in their ambition and I believed in Manolan and Amy's aims. And I also, you know, I guess I push back more than I remember uh, sometimes because it's like rigorous me, that'll be the day. Um, no. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I just, you know, the voice was a very special place, first of all. And I think that, you know, I just feel very lucky to have been there at that moment. Cause that is a very particular moment. Um, but these writers, First of all, I only I really believe that, you know, it's a little bit of reflected glory and that I get to write about film in part because I had such great writers. And so people take me seriously and I am happy about that, but entirely because mm-hmm. I worked with extraordinary writers that I think I was, you know, encouraging of in a real way. You know, I don't I think it's like there's, you know, this like level of intellect and thinking that goes on with Amy and Manola that. I wanted to make sure people that aren't like sort of scholars, right? It's like, these are people that write for a popular and broad audience that are super, 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 super smart and super, super lyrical and incisive and all these things. And I think that writing has to be out in the world. And I think that the voice, that's how I fit into the voice. And that's how, you know, and that's what I wanted to make sure happened. So I was lucky. Well, one of
4: the real differences about Lisa Kennedy as an editor and the very, very wonderful editors I've had. Most of the editors I've had, they're very good about asking you questions that make you clarify a piece, make the piece better. Some editors don't edit at all, but the good ones make the individual pieces better. But Lisa always asked questions that led you to bigger questions. Mm-hmm. Like, what yeah. were you thinking? why does this piece have to be? And what is it about in relation to other things you are thinking about? And there were just, you know, deeper layers of thought that Lisa made me think about in relation to pieces I wrote with her for her.
1: Yeah, I would, I would say that absolutely. You know, it wasn't, it was about the ideas. It was, you know, uh, very skilled, obviously, in terms of line editing, but I mean, editing at its finest should have a kind of almost a kind of this back and forth. Sometimes it feels like a conversation that you're having where you're basically you've said something and now someone's going to respond to what you've just said by by editing and like, what does this mean? And let's talk. And I felt like there was such a care. But also because Lisa is there was just it was at such a high level, you know, intellectually that it was intoxicating. And it also was, you know, it kind of spoiled me you know, because, uh, I've had a lot of just like, kind of like workman like stuff, or, you know, I've certainly had, I've literally had editors like move a comma and it just puts me into such a huge panic because I'm like, no, <laughs> there's something wrong. I know can <laughs> make this better, you know, and I am a good self editor now, but it's like, you want, you want someone who you feel is, you know, smarter than you to help you be your very best at that time. And, you know, you want someone who you're, you can be fearless, you know, who is your, who really is your net, who's going to make sure that you're not going to like fucking fall on your face and embarrass yourself, you know? And so it was a very intoxicating moment and I feel very, very privileged, you know, honestly, that that was like my, my experience as being a young writer coming, you know, trying to find my voice.
0: I'm curious, do you remember what were some of the the first pieces you, you worked on?
1: I think the one of the funniest things was is that Lisa sent me to do cover a lot of gay and lesbian festivals, and I, to the point that my mother asked me, if I, was gay. <laughs> I was living with my then boyfriend, now husband, and I was like, mom, like, like, no, but it was very, it was just like. It was also because I, when I, I, my entry into the voice was um, rather hilariously writing a column on avant-garde cinema. When I was asked if I knew any, I was like, "Yeah, I've seen brackish movies <laughs> and you know Ernie Care. But um, so making a, with Lisa, I was making also a leap into doing more mainstream stuff and more pop stuff, which was which was really fun to do. And Lisa has a really, really, really like probably more than most people I've ever worked with a very really great sense of pop and what is pop culture and so for me it was like making this transition from writing about more abstruse stuff and you know avant-garde work to writing about pop stuff um but Mm. really i covered so much gay and lesbian festivals that my mother literally
0: (laughs) 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 that's really funny in terms of i guess movies that were coming out one of the waves of independent film was then were there any particular reviews or features that each of you remember around that time? I don't know, I guess, 89,
1: 90, 91, or... It was ancient history, man. We have watched so many <laughs> thousands of movies since then. It's very hard to... I can
2: not to... imagine how you all remember.
1: Um... Yeah, I mean, we were writing both... Amy Amy had a, also was a columnist, and, and we were mm. both writing every week. So, ugh, I don't know.
4: But I remember a piece that Lisa encouraged me to write, me, she encouraged me all along the way of it, and I really was terrified. My shrink had died, and yeah, Lisa yeah. thought that I could write a piece about the death of my shrink. Oh, wow! And it truly is one of the pieces that you know I'm putting together a collection, and that's a piece that I know has to be there, even though it has nothing whatsoever to do with film or only uh, in a way that.
2: He wasn't really interested in
0: films. (laughs) Wow, that's fascinating.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have to say, you know, one of the things that was really a pleasure for me um, was when Amy began writing also the art and industry column um, Mm. because it was so meaningful to what was going on with independent cinema. And she has this kind of unerring taste that I found, you know, just so illuminating and great for our readership. But, you know, I guess the funny thing is, it's like, that was a great piece, Amy, that you're just talking about. And I just also think that, I mean, forget me. It's just like, that's, I don't know who that person is. That I used to be smart, evidently. Um, but, uh, but I loved how generative that space was and how we were able together to uh, just be really, you know, I mean, I think that criticism, I, I don't know how other people feel, but I am so exhausted by film Twitter and it makes oh, yes. me so sad and resentful. And I feel like this is not, a club I want to be in and this is not the club that I grew up in which wasn't a club it was like these people teaching me how to think and read you know read film but understand film and embrace it and also embrace writing I mean I feel like the thing Mm. is I worked with writers who knew so much more and continue to know so much more about film than I do but I cared about them as writers and I really believe in writing and that's kind of that's my little wheelhouse I think Mm. even now in some ways
0: it's it's really interesting. You mentioned uh, film Twitter because I was just reading uh, Lisa a, a couple of features of yours that are, are available on online, including one about pulp fiction, um, and one that I guess is part of a, a package a cover story package of mm-hmm. a Cornell West and other writers. Um, um, and it was really fascinating reading it because I felt in the piece in that piece and also the pulp fiction piece, you're kind of describing the conversation, the critical conversation going around and you know, referring to someone said this, someone else said this. And now it seems like a lot of that kind of gets displaced to Twitter and then just nattered about into relevance in a way. It Things kind of rise and fall so quickly that they disappear somehow. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I definitely feel like uh, the things that I've, I continue to learn when, I, when I'm reading Manola and Amy is that I continue to learn how to think. And I feel like that is not what film twitter does i don't think it (laughs) it has the illusion of thinking because there's all this back and forth and all this opinion but i don't think that's thinking necessarily and certainly not the kind of thinking that compels me which is i don't want to be told how to think i want to be encouraged to continue to think
0: Mm. yeah it's a kind of nefarious simulation
2: Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) anyway i don't want to get off on film twitter it's already yeah yeah. of course but
0: also, just uh, the voice would give such space and room for features and, mm-hmm. and, and kind of writing about filmmakers in in a, in a different way. Uh, I don't know if if any any of those pieces might come to mind, just as as an editor that you had worked on. Then,
4: yeah, Lisa, did you did I work with you on the piece on kids?
2: That's the season of our time together, so I would think so. Ooh. Yeah,
4: I mean, I I remember that, and I remember. I mean, I really was crazy about kids. Actually, a guy was fixing my elevator, great <laughs> elevator in our building, and he said, what do you do? Because the elevator opens into my space, and he, this was yesterday. And he sa- I said, well, I'm a film critic. And he said, oh, I love Godfather One. And I said, not two. And he said, no, not two. I love Godfather hmm. One. And I said, well, have you seen Mean Streets? He didn't even know what Mean Streets was. And so he was asking, what do you like, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, what do you like? And he said, kids. I grew up in the city and I was a skateboarder. I love kids. Did you ever see it? That was amazing. That is amazing. That's
0: great. Oh, so
2: fun. I love it.
0: But when you wrote about kids, that, that entailed, I guess, talking to...
4: Harmony and yeah. Larry. And I don't think I talked... I talked to Chloe... But I don't think I talked to any of the other skaters. I didn't talk to Justin or any of the actors. But I did talk for a long time, to I mean, I think that was Harmony's first substantial
2: <laughs> Harmony on a page. Yeah, yeah. I think that you actually worked with Abby on that, possibly. I'm just looking up uh-huh. the date, so I don't want to take away from another that's editor. that's why i asked yeah with so suddenly we get like shout outs that i really want to make
0: sure that she gets <laughs> <laughs> you're fact checking on the on, on <laughs> <fly.
2: laughs>
1: well it was well, you know it was a, a long time ago we but um, <laughs> i the one thing i would just say about the voice at that at that time just because also the voice became very different um, but at that time it was exceedingly Thrilling and intimidating place to be. You were working with some of the great writers. You know, mm-hmm. you would be, walk down the hallway and you know bump into Ellen Willis or you know. I remember, mm. I remember just sitting there and watching Nelson George and Greg Tate have a long conversation. You know about oh, wow. like how change is made, and you know it was blowing my little brains like, <laughs> You know, you're just it was amazing. It was like everyone's head was on fire, and it was very very. Rich, you know, we would uh, get together and we'd have different meetings. There was a women's caucus, would get together. I mean, it was just, the place was just live and, you know, astonishing range of talent there. But, you know, it was, it was very intimidating and you just, I felt like a little mouse there, you know, it was very <laughs> brilliant, brilliant, brilliant people.
2: It was really a crazy brilliant. place. Um, the Times just did a, around Sundance time, a piece about the Ruby Rich sort of curated oh, yeah. um mm-hmm panel at Sundance um, Mm because it's the 30th anniversary and it was the sort of queer cinema one barbed wire kisses and the thing that was sad to me and you know because I ramble so I get it and I know how writing features is but I think what got lost was just the sense that Ruby's piece happened at the first time at The Voice is Mm -hmm. a central thing I mean it's like Jim reviewed Superstar you know the Todd Haynes I mean it's like there's just a way in which I think The Voice was absolutely essential to that sort of lifting off in any way shape or form and i think that that got lost in that piece which i loved but in some ways but i just think that that's what the voice was like it was crazy crazy yeah. connected and the talent was ridiculous and intimidating yeah. and wonderful and nuts and badly behaved and all the good things that happened <laughs> in this space you know and uh yeah. You know, I do think that that queer cinema piece and that push, it, of course, it may have happened, but I actually think that this was a time in which, you know, criticism really did. I still think it can and does, but really did have a way of making sure that there was a conversation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, broader than just the bunch of film people writing about it, like big conversation.
4: Right. And there were packages, you know, mm-hmm. where yeah. six or seven writers would write about
2: something. Right, Um, Right.
4: and that those were really great conversation.
2: The gist is the voice was killer. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's the takeaway. The the voice was yeah. (laughs) Takeaway.
0: I mean, part of what I also loved about the voice was just having the voice perspective on you know whatever mainstream thing was being carpet bombed and marketing Mm -hmm. it or this or that, you know.
2: I mean, I I will say that I remember that when I did my proposal for the gig, that I was like, mm-hmm. oh, we have to flip everything. It's like the sort of most general taste writer has to write. Not that there were many at the Voice, but you know, and then get Jim on something big, Jim, Jay Hogan mm-hmm. on something really big, or like Manola on something really popular. Because I felt like that's I want those brains addressing those films because i think that made us smarter uh in terms of popular culture and i really wanted that kind of intellect to sort of you know take a squat at something or or embrace it whatever the choice was
0: yeah well i, I i'm sure we, we could continue
2: our love fest of the village Choice, yeah no don't stop i yeah.
1: know <laughs> 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 i think we could spend the entire time talking about the voice honestly it was, it was uh so like deeply profound it's you know I mean, I also want to just say very uh, weirdly, I was also, um, I had an internship at The Voice when I was in high school. <laughs> so, oh. Oh,
3: yeah, yeah,
1: and it was when uh, The Voice was on University, uh, near the right near the bowling alley over there. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I had an internship there, and my favorite part of that internship was all the um, music critics would leave all their records out, and I would just thumb through all the records, and which is how I, like found this this strange record that was it was Devo's first record you know oh. like <laughs> um, and also one day I went home I just I just I don't know I was at The Voice and I, maybe it was because of The Voice I went home and I changed into all black and I started wearing all black from then on and I'm currently wearing all black right now sure. <laughs> <laughs> but then I also had an internship at the Soho Weekly News so I think I was there when Amy was at the Soho Weekly News so wow you were wow. do we yeah, ever talk know, about that you. Um, I think we must've been there at the same time. It was, huh. um, briefly, but it was like, you know, one of these little high school things where I was just doing grunt work for you know credit. So
0: Amy, you don't remember a black clad intern at the time. <laughs> Everyone is so <laughs> it is black all the time. <laughs> uh. <Yeah. laughs> well, um, we can move on to the, to this, to the second half of the podcast. Um, uh, the last thing I saw is, is, Generally, the idea is talking about recent things you've seen. Uh, so this is kind of, yeah, again, the all-star edition <laughs> for this. Um, actually, Amy, I guess one of the films that uh, you mentioned, maybe all of us have seen. I don't know. I just watched it this afternoon. I finally caught yeah. up to it. Uh, Kimmy.
1: Oh, yes. Okay.
4: Well, Manola and I have both written about Kimmy. So if Manola wants to start, this is fine with me. <laughs>
1: Um, well, I think, I think, well, I'll first start saying, I apologize to anyone who thought that the movie was two hours and 30 uh, minutes because, uh, that was not my mistake. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the time and I was, I felt really bad because I was like, Oh, how many people didn't watch this movie? Because they were like two hours, uh, two and a half hours. Um, uh, the times has gets this information generated from IMDB and it just kind of automatically goes in. So anyway, just, uh, to anyone out there, I apologize. Um,
4: Oh yeah, the paper of record gets its information from IMDb.
1: Yeah, no, I know. What I would like to say in in my, however, it was the time was correct in the body of the review because I have to fact check every damn thing. So uh, it was correct in the body of the review. At least there, I think the thing that was so interesting. Well, there's a lot of things. First of all, it's just a lot of fun. It's just a fun, fun movie, and you know yay. <laughs>
3: um, mm-hmm. That's
1: awesome. Um, because I feel like uh, since we are still in the pandemic, even though we some people like to talk about it as if we're post-pandemic, but we're still I'm so happy to get anything fun that just lifts my spirit uh, up. But I'm so interested in that this is uh, the, what Soderbergh's new, his model has been for his last, this is his seventh movie in what, five years, Amy? And
4: Leslie, you know, it's just so
1: interesting to me that he has embraced this very kind of very, I'm bad at math, um, just <laughs> embrace this, this model of just working really fast and loose and, you know, and working with whomever will just put his movies out, whether it's on small screens or big screens. He just is just doing it. And I think that the last movies have been kind of up and down for me. Um, and this was for me by far the most successful And Zoe Kravitz, oh my God, she is so great. And um, I like her. I've always liked her. She's obviously beautiful to look at. But you just realize that so many directors just use her in this kind of ornamental fashion where Soderbergh was directing her as a performer who could actually bring it. You know, and that was Mm. really exciting. And I really hope that people start paying attention to her. So I'll let Amy and Lisa continue.
4: I love this movie. I mean, you know, this and... It's weird, out of sight. And, <laughs> uh, I mean, there's a definite relationship between them. They're mm. two of my favorites. They're genre movies. They have a central woman character who has many dimensions. But that's not really what makes me love them. this movie. I think it's the most fantastically shot and edited movie I've seen. Maybe I've ever seen. I mean, I just want to take this movie and have the original materials and put it on uh, premiere and look to see where every cut is. Because mm. that it the timing of this movie is so impeccable. And the relationship of the uh, camera movements in the first half to her in that space. I mean, I wrote something like, it's like they are two rare birds in flight and then Mm -hmm. they really take flight in the second half because this in the in the middle section because the middle section is all handheld and that's totally different kind of camera but Mm -hmm. part of it is just that the red camera has just gotten better in -hmm. the years that Soderbergh has been using it and the color in this movie is just it's just ravishing it's just they keep it on it's a kind of screensaver (laughs) <laughs> I've run it maybe 30 times. It just runs on my screen behind me. And every now and then I turn around and look at it because I just find it ravishing looking. There's that kind of Vermeer corner behind her desk that when the light is right, it's Vermeer yellow and blue with mm-hmm. a touch of uh, red. And she's looking out the window like those Vermeer windows are. women are always looking out the window. Uh, it's it's just amazing to me And then it's pretty smart about, I guess, technology and surveillance. And mostly that's what people write about. They also write that she's not very nice, but I think she's exactly like me. So you can think that about (laughs) me too. I think she is me or is me like 50 years ago. Only I never had hamstrings that great. (laughs) She has the best hamstrings I've ever seen.
2: That's so adorable. I haven't seen it. And all I can say is listening to the two of you talk about it just gets me kind of that weird vibrating thing. And I think it's so funny that Amy, you mentioned out of sight because I was like, that th- you know, when listening to Manola talk about Zoe, and I'm like, oh, this reminds me of a conversation we had about Clooney and what he had learned from Soderbergh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. and mm-hmm. why he learned to act basically in that film in a way. And I may be miss, you know, I may be misparaphrasing or whatever the hell, you no, say. no, no, but I really remember that. And, you know, and I love that movie. I love Out of Sight. Oh, my um, God. It's just just like, but, you know, the very first movie I ever can absolutely describe having, you know, besides the ones that I love and like, oh, Wizard of Oz, blah, blah, blah. But I remember having actually, I feel like a crush in the erotic sense on Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Like I dated that movie like four times in a very short <laughs> period of time. And so he's just such a, I mean, I remember it completely. And I just think it's such a, he's such an interesting filmmaker. And I know Amy in particular has really, really sort of stayed not in sync necessarily, but just like following what Soderbergh does. And he's such an interesting filmmaker. And I think both of you oh, yeah. know that really, and basically makes me just go, oh, well I know what I'm doing tomorrow. I'm watching Kimmy. That. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah.
1: One thing I was thinking about that's a little different, but um I was just thinking about how Soderbergh is tapping, it just seems, you know, incredibly creatively unbound right now. And it's really mm. interesting when you think about him vis-a-vis what's happening in the mainstream with the remnants of the mainstream studio system and i'm putting system in quotation marks but you know Mm -hmm. like about i mean the shift that's happened in terms of the mainstream studios in the last 10 years has been kind of astonishing really you know fox is no more paramount is almost dead uh netflix is now part of like the studio um ecosystem and and the streaming as presenting a threat to all that and the studio's have embraced the bigger, 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 you know, we're mm-hmm. watching endless Marvel movies um, and Soderbergh, you know, he was very successful or people may not know, but he was um, some of his most fruitful kind of um, work was done with Warner Brothers, you know, and it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Now he was doing with HBO max uh, for this recent movie. Um, he has a deal with HBO max Amy can talk about this more, but I just think it's really interesting. Like he has found a productive way to exist and to be creatively fecund, you know, to really be doing interesting, exciting work on his own terms, it seems to me, you know, and also like the studios and what we call mainstream Hollywood is just, it's doing whatever it's doing. It may exist in five years. It may not. It will certainly be different. Soderbergh's just like, yeah, man, I'm just going to go, you know, I'm just mm-hmm. going to do my thing. And I, I think that's really exciting. And I, I wish more filmmakers... Would kind of embrace this, you know, I just I think it's a really great
4: model. well, I think I think that when he made this deal with Warner's, and I forget if it's a three year deal, a five year deal, but it's pretty encompassing. I think one of the things in it two things were in the back of his mind. One, that he really is agnostic about screens. Yeah. I mean, he really doesn't yeah. care if it's on the big screen or it's streaming yeah. in your living room. Hopefully you have a good setup. And you can hear the sound because sound in Kimmy is fantastic. Fantastic sound.
3: It is. I agree. But
4: yep. it, what he also realized was the kind of movies, smart movies that are medium-sized movies, that's what the studios can't do anymore.
3: Right, they don't have right. the mm-hmm.
4: economics to make a movie that costs thirty or forty or $50,000 and that plays right. to a, <laughs> an audience that's interested in ideas okay. or drama or whatever. Okay. And so he figured the only place he could do it was for Warners because they were streaming. And they were streaming, this idea of streaming was predated the pandemic. Yeah.
2: Mm. Uh, I think that, that that was like a real, um, awesome powers moment. $50 million or $50,000? $50 dollars yeah, $50, $50 like, 50 50 I, I think that would be great. I'm sorry. That's why I can't pay my rent.
4: You
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I talked to him, um, for, and, and this is terrible because I don't exactly remember which film, but we were talking about the red cam, you know, the red camera. So it was really pretty early on. And, uh, for a piece for the Denver Post. And I remember say, saying that I felt like there were these young filmmakers who maybe had taken, well, you know, he made a point that they had taken the wrong lesson, which is the sort of notion that he would do something like *Oceans*, the Oceans film and then do something that he cared about. And he's like, oh no, I care about all of them. And I yeah. think that you both have underlined that. And I think that's the lesson that like young filmmakers would have to hear or new filmmakers have to hear. is like, oh, it's not this like weird thing where a corporation then decides to do pro bono work. It's like, no, he he cares <laughs> about both those. Things in mm-hmm. big ways. He enjoy. I mean, that's why they're so. You know, that's why the oceans are sort of enjoyable if they're goofy mm-hmm. and enjoyable. That there's a pleasure to it that I think the filmmaker really. You know, that a sort of really feels strongly, and mm-hmm. and I appreciated that because I think it's a great thing for young filmmakers to hear.
1: Yeah, I agree.
2: Yeah.
1: I just uh, as a as a, a side note to what Lisa was talking about, George Clooney. The thing that I remember that Soderbergh did with Clooney and if anybody watched ER and I watched every damn episode of ER, <laughs> this is something that you that <laughs> you, <correct? laughs> yes. Was that uh he Soderberg basically trained uh Clooney to stop doing this cutesy little thing with his eyes. Uh, Clooney would often and again he was on television but he would often squeeze his eyes together in this way hmm. and uh he stopped doing that I mean I have think I have seen him since but it was just like that was like one thing and I just was saying to Amy the other day I would just really like you know I mean yes Soderbergh shoots his own stuff and he edits uh, under pseudonyms right um but I would like to see I want to know how he directs actors like what is mm-hmm. he doing mm-hmm. with the actors to get some I mean has Jennifer Lopez ever been as great as she was in Out of Sight? You know, I think that, you mean, you know, she's fantastic. And I was looking forward to a fantastic run from her. (laughs) So, um, you know, I just, I want to know what he does,
3: you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I
4: suspect that in looking at Zoe Kravitz now, like 20 times in this movie, I suspect that what he does is somehow... He lets people know that they don't have to externally act certain moments because the music or the camera will be acting what you think you have to externalize. It is externalized in other ways. So Mm -hmm. you don't have to do that stuff. Uh, And that's why, in part, I Mm -hmm. think he's much better with, I mean, he's very good with, you know, Kate Blanchett, but the films are much more interesting when they have performers that aren't that experience. Mm-hmm. I love
2: That's that. That is really
0: interesting. Yeah. This might be a more kind of boring way to get, get into the film, but I also just felt this is one of the best movies just about anxiety and panic.
1: Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> I was, I was like, Oh, this is me. You
0: know? <laughs> it was a little triggering. About it. <laughs> oh <my goodness. laughs> um.
1: Just the way, you know, I love how she mapped, how they map out uh, camera and performances, both the space inside the loft. You know, Mm -hmm. she only walks to her desk a certain way. She curves Mm -hmm. around the front towards the windows, you know, things like that. And of course, then she pumps her hand sanitizer I love, I've started copying how she dries her hands. I started walking around just like drying my hands in that, that uh, incredibly cute way she does. You know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I do that. <laughs> yeah. It's a movie where it's all kind of unified around her, you know, intimate knowledge of, and patterns in the apartment. It's such a well modulated and thoroughly using every part of the space. And I, I, I've happened to watch, or I had, I put rear window on, Mm -hmm. on the plane Mm -hmm. while I was typing. And then I looked up Hitchcock Truffaut when I got home and something in there also reminded me of this movie, which is. Hitchcock is always like, you know, in Rear Window, he's a photographer, so that's going to come into play later, his camera, later on in the movie as well. He's very efficient with everything. And I also felt this is a movie that's very efficient with every piece of information oh, yeah. and yeah, how you learn well, about
1: Well, let's give, I have to say, we have to give David Keeps uh, some, you know, screenwriter. Yes. I, I, I did think about Panic Room, because uh, Keep also wrote Panic mm. Room. And you know, I'm, also, I love movies, and it uh, doesn't give away too much, and I like movies that either are completely set or partly set within really confined spaces. I mean, you know, extreme versions being like Lloyd Cohen, you know, the phone booth movie. I think he wrote that, you know, like these very small compressed spaces and what, and of course, this is a very nice loft, but watching filmmakers do amazing things in in limited spaces is just really fun, you know, and it's just this, it seems like it should be an exercise that everyone has to do, you know, really fun.
0: I mean, the, the tons of things different from from Panic Room. But one thing that comes to mind is that the mastery of the space is kind of expressed through her. It doesn't feel like it's sort of coming from the, the filmmaker. The
3: filmmaker, <laughs> no, that's, <laughs> a very, that's a really good point. That's a very good point. Yeah, That's um,
0: good.
2: I like that. Yeah, very nicely nice done. Yep.
0: Well, that uh, so that's uh, that's that's Kimmy available on HBO Max. Um, is it showing in theaters as well? No. Or?
4: Like no theatrical yet.
0: Okay, not at all. Maybe
4: there will eventually be. Manolos saw it in the theater.
1: Yep, yeah, I did. Oh, you
4: did? Oh, wow.
1: I, I asked. I just. I always ask. I'm like, you know, and they were. They were accommodating. I. I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> so it was interesting. I watched it twice. I watched it, you know, on a really big screen, and then on our rather small television. Um, so. Oh wow!
0: Was, I'm jealous. <laughs> it, was,
1: it was very fun to do that. I also just think the whole paranoid woman thing is just super, like uh, you know, women. I like you know, I like damsel in distress movies and how interesting they are. <laughs> that was something I've been thinking a lot about too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. I did not think she was mean.
1: Oh, not <laughs> at all. It's so ridiculous.
3: Film yeah,
0: oh. Twitter what, what think she's mean. Oh, yeah, oh, there you so. go.
2: Well, there you go. Exactly. There you go. <laughs>
0: I actually was kind of inspired, but I was like, God, I I need to like hold my ground like that.
2: (laughs) Oh, I like that you're saying that. I love that. I like that Manola said the thing about um, drying her hands a certain way, and you said, oh, I need to do that, because I feel like the way I understand film, and I don't have this with theater, I don't have this with... I mean, I know that this is streaming, so it's sort of a complicated thing, but in general... Movies are the things that I look to to still learn how to be human. I really think that's very infantile of me in a lot of ways, but that is absolutely how I understand my relationship to film, even to this. It's not
1: infantile at all. I think it's partly how, why we love them, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like they, you learn how to do so many things. Sometimes also, I feel like it was really like, I learned how to smoke, you know. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I gave it, I gave up smoking a long time ago, but I'm just saying, you know, there's all these things, you know, how to walk, how to Mm -hmm. like seduce, how to be seduced. I mean, it's all like, yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, I can't resist the segue here because Lisa, one of the films you mentioned that you'd like to to discuss is... After Yang, I know it's
2: like as soon as like oh what could it be if it's not like techno techno sapiens yeah I did really I mean I know that Amy and Manola had probably seen this film much earlier than I did I only I just saw it at Sundance at quote you know I I've never
4: seen it Lisa I'm uh, sorry okay, oh, okay. Uh, and
2: okay. I like I first of all you know I really like the Columbus movie mm-hmm. and I like mm-hmm. I'm interested in Coganada but I just found that movie you know and you know disclosure i'm adopted and i thought that the sort of what was going on sibling wise was very moving but i just i found that movie you know i like dystopian movies you know quote-unquote dystopian movies that happen in the daylight because i actually think a lot of dystopian um, whatever we're like worried about is probably going to happen in the daylight more than it's going to happen yeah. in like some dirty filthy nighttime um <laughs> and that and, you know it's interesting to sort of see what that looks like I was charmed, but I also found it incredibly moving. And I like the use of, you know, we're just talking about spaces and stuff. I like what he does with space, that director a lot. So I was very, I mean, I'm I'm a fan of that. I was a fan of that movie.
0: Yeah. I'm reviewing
1: it, so I'm not going to oh, actually sorry. say anything. No, oh. no, no, no. I'm just, I'm not going to say anything because I just feel like since I'm going
2: to be Well, yeah, you it, shouldn't.
0: Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've, I've, well, I look forward yes. to
2: reading you, regardless of what you <laughs> say. I mean, I've, I've learned to be, you know, I think one of the funny things about, I I say to people all the time when I you know it's like oh I've had the best writers on film I've worked with them and they don't always agree I mean (laughs) they don't agree and I actually think that's a lesson and like that sort of opinionator like aspect of you know whatever it's like that's not what it's about entirely if like I mean I, I love when writers that I love and. Uh, I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, a little bit of a submissive dog, which is just like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know? It's like, oh, yeah, that's right, too. <laughs> but
0: <laughs> but, uh, but you it's know. your
1: generosity. It's because you're a very generous soul. That's or something,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. I love that what you said about the bad things are going to be happening in daylight, because some of the most harrowing moments in the film for me are just when colin Farrell's sitting in his shop that tea shop he has and uh
2: horrible woman comes in
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh so it's and it's and it's a movie that kind of gets uh caught up in a kind of this slipstream of of of, of memory and we can stop there but i I just those things came to mind but actually it's oh sorry go ahead
1: no i just uh another movie i'm reviewing soon and i just want to like, I think people should see it. It's called Great Freedom. It's a mm. German movie that's coming out in a couple of weeks, and oh, yeah. um, I recommend that as well. Just throwing it out
2: Great Freedom. Yeah. Okay. Great Freedom.
1: Yeah. It's about, uh, it begins in 1968, and it is mm. a gay man in uh, West Germany who uh, just basically keeps being thrown in jail because homosexual acts are illegal. And so he just keeps getting thrown into jail, huh. and it just follows it. And, and I, highly recommend it oh the actor's name is franz rogowski who it was in transit uh, an actor i like very much he's a very interesting performer so that's all i'm going to say but i just wanted to that was that was literally the last thing i saw i saw it last night so i just wanted oh, wow. to
4: wow and manola is it coming out in theaters because i got something from Movie about it but it didn't say anything about theatrical
1: i believe it's both theater and and also streaming i'm pretty sure it's mm-hmm. both, both so yeah I was being literal about the last thing. Yeah, 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 Yeah.
4: absolutely.
0: (laughs) Actually, I'm curious, what is that for, Amy, what's the last thing?
4: I saw Stan Brackage films in class today because I taught them, so that's the last thing (laughs) I saw.
2: (laughs) That's pretty fresh off the presses. I like that. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And Lisa? No, I think the last thing I saw probably was Pursuit, which I reviewed for the, the, the little teeny review for The Times. <clears throat> and that's yeah. pretty much all I can say. Cause I don't want to encourage right. it. <laughs> so I really felt, okay, I have something to say, which is I really thought that they perhaps thought that I was being too, I always find, I always end on an up note and like something. I mean, it's even if I don't like it, it seems like I like it. And I'm just thinking they were probably thinking that we have to test her. Let's throw this at her. And so I, oh. I, I think that oh. I maybe be, I think that I may be past the test that I don't like. Woo! everything. <laughs> 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 just checking know, it's like i think they're trying to test me well
1: <laughs> i think we would have a to see what was worse though lisa because i also did um the badly named um, Uncharted, which is this. Big-
2: oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, I do. I, I saw like, the I saw right. the trailer for that one too. There, yeah, all right.
1: Uncharted. Every single thing has been charted already. You know. <laughs> I mean, it was like I was so like I'm used to really shitty movies, but I was I was this even threw me like I was surprised. <laughs> I really like watching Tom Holland. That's the only thing because he's. He he has this great uh, background in ballet. He's ballet, mm-hmm. and he trained as a gymnast, and also he ran parkour. So he is an inc- he's really fun to watch. Just physically, it's just like you know. I um, so it's really fun watching him bounce around. Um, that was the best part of it. But it was like I'm. It's so bad that I actually watched National Treasure to make sure that it was an exact ripoff of National Treasure. So I was like. <laughs> Oh boy! But at least with National Treasure, you get, you know, Nicolas Cage doing whatever the fuck Nicolas Cage is doing. As
0: opposed <laughs> to- <laughs> Absolutely. You
1: know. yeah. Holy yeah.
0: moly. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> so no no uncharted waters for us. A- That's oh. right. Yeah. Well, I, I guess there are, there are a couple more movies um, that we, we could talk about. I think another Sundance movie that also, uh, Lisa, you liked was Miha. Um, which i heard really good things about.
2: Yeah, i never i mean i sort of sent amy towards amy towards it and i don't know what she thought. And i never i never got
4: there.
2: Oh good okay. Phew. Uh, <laughs> like, cuz the silence was deafening. Uh, I'm like, i do not going to ask cuz i feel very protective of it." Uh, you know, i thought that this movie did so it's by Isabel Castro and it's, you know, it's a it's an immigration story in a lot of ways and an undocumented story to some degree um about these two daughters but one in particular. Uh, Doris Munoz, who uh, is a music promoter, manager person, and I just felt she first of all I thought it was kind of gorgeous, and she shot it with. I uh, mean, mm. he was the cinematographer, but there's a couple other people that were also shooting it. But um, but I found that there was just this nuance to the story like there was joy but there was also hardship and not just the the sort of heart-tugging hard you know it just wasn't a traditional documentary i felt like in terms of the shitty story of undocumented folks from mexico in this country it's just like but it was really i felt like it was on its own terms she did some interesting things with voiceover uh -hmm. as a kind of internal narration of the of the film and of the character. So there was an intimacy to it that I really was touched by. And then sort of in the middle, it does this crazy ass thing where it kind of like jumps to the other character for a while and then loops them back in together. But like actually really does sort of go to Dallas and like, you know, it's in LA and then it goes to Dallas and finds this Chicana uh, singer who may or may not sign up with Doris. And I just found it really smart and subtle and kind of brave and, wise about what that story you know this is a this is an instance of where i feel like the the filmmaker really understands her subjects and understands what's special and heroic and human about them and i found that to be incredibly moving it doesn't seem like it's i just uh, i didn't feel like it had, i had seen whether it had gotten picked up yet but i sure hope it does it's i think it's a very special film
0: yeah miha's she's a uh, music She's a manager of talent, right? Yeah, she's
2: a manager. She has this like young guy. And then, you know, it's sort of like two things kind of converge to like completely make it impossible for her to do what she had been doing as a manager, which was there was COVID. And then there was this sort of guy that she was the manager of who was very successful. and, And that kind of falls apart, too. And she is, you know, she's the breadwinner for her family. She's been actively moving to get her parents, you know, for the lawyers, for her parents to become documented, to get green cards. And it's just... It's very special. And Jax Hopped, who's the singer that she sort of connects with in Dallas, she has a similar, she's a natural born U.S. citizen of parents who are not documented. And there's just like these excruciating moments that are less about that for her than they are about like parents that don't believe you should be an artist. It's so, it's just beautiful. Mm. I just (laughs) think it's beautiful.
1: Hey, we should talk about also um, one that all three of us have seen, Nanny. Nanny. Because we were
3: oh right
1: we were so Lisa and Amy and I one of the things we did during Sundance is we we were occasionally texting each other <laughs> it was very fun and it then was. I was like it made me sad because I was like realizing the last time I had texted the two of you was when we actually all had been at Sundance like physically right. you know yeah. and that was kind of oh yeah
2: funny. that's funny that one that came up and it's just like what movie <laughs> from like two, the other year two years ago
1: yeah, to, yeah exactly. Yeah um so i just like i both of you were very enthusiastic as well
2: yeah Um, i think that filmmaker i don't know i mean i think i was the last to see it but you um but both of you i mean i guess amy might have been the first one to see it and it was one of those things where it's like oh my goodness this woman is so smart and i can't wait to see what else she does but i just thought thing you know that she made all these interesting choices that uh, you know, there was a lot of conversations about Sundance being, you know, a genre festival to some degree. There were all these sort of people using genre, in mm-hmm. particular, yeah. sort of thriller and horror, as a way of talking about, you know, our usual daunting, shitty issues. Um, but there was something very special about this film.
4: Yep, yeah. and she is, she is so so smart. <laughs> you know, I said I was looking at her little Q and A afterwards. I mean. She's the only person at Sundance I've ever heard mention Sadia Hartman. And it was absolutely natural, you know. And she mm-hmm. was just citing an essay by Sadia Hartman. So she's quite brilliant. And, you know, went to school in Atlanta, but then went to graduate school at NYU and then made a short film and went to, that went to Sundance. And so she was in the labs And she seems to have been unblemished by the Sundance Labs. This is the film she wanted to make. No one got under her skin and made her make any changes. I don't believe that. Um, And, you know, while this was a Sundance where everyone seemed to be auditioning for what's his name, Jordan Peele, Mm
3: -hmm. she's
4: the one who ended up with the contract at Universal for this film and for her next film.
1: I didn't know it. I didn't hear that. That's great. Good
4: yeah. Oh, wow. That's cool.
3: That's really cool.
1: That. That's
4: I don't know if Universal is releasing this film, but her next film is at Universal under whatever deal Jordan Peele has. Uh-huh.
1: That was one of the things I think that Amy and I probably saw it around the same time and we were both really enthusiastic. Um And um, woman has a fantastic sense of color. I mean, she does a lot of really interesting things, but she does... The movie just doesn't go where you think it's going to go. It was unexpected. I think the lead was fantastic. Uh, Anna Diop. Um, I thought she was really great.
4: I mean, it really seems like she's made ten films before she made this. It it's, a, for her first yeah. film, it's astonishing.
1: No, no, it has a it has a kind of a sense of control in terms of its tone and its mood that I that is very I think difficult to do. I, you know, the one thing. I just felt at some point with Sundance and Sundance is so funny because I think we sometimes talk, we use Sundance in a very general way, the way that sometimes people, including myself, use Hollywood. And it's like, what does that mean? You know, there's like Sundance is a place that I've, I've been very frustrated with, but it's also a place where I saw safe, you know, and it's also where I saw kids and then got stoned with Amy and Chuck Stevens in a car
3: afterwards. Um,
1: <laughs> you know? and we were all like, holy fuck, what did we just see? Anyway, um, and so it's, you know, so, so there were many different Sundances and I think that mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. of course with every programmer, head of programming has been different. So I think like we're seeing a, a new Sundance kind of emerge in a really interesting way and there was a, but for a while it just felt like the bat, the, the kind of generic Sundance movie of like, you know, quirky, young, invariably white boys coming of age stories and I just wanted to, you know, beat my head against the wall. It was just, you know, like you're thinking I'm walking in zero degrees at midnight for this, you know, it's just like white. Um, so I feel like, you know, there's been these different way, you know, and of course, there were the Miramax years and blah, blah, blah. And I think right now, you know, the, the two top people right now at the festival are both women. Um, I think that they're doing some interesting work. I mean, I really greatly admire and respect John Cooper, the last person. I, and I think he really kind of moved Sundance in the right direction. But I think, I think that I'm really, really interested to see like what the next few years are going to be because I feel like this Sundance, even though, yes, it was a lot of genre stuff, it also felt like, I felt like I was watching independent work in a way that wasn't necessarily, mm-hmm. like I would not look at Nanny and think that this woman was trying to get a deal at Universal, whereas before there were some movies you'd see at Sundance and you'd be like, this is just a calling card to get a deal. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was astonished that You know, then her next movie is set up at Universal. (laughs) That's astonishing because this is a very, this is definitely an art film. There's no way around it. There's, it's an art film with genre touches.
1: Yeah, Um, I just think like I think we might be. I'm very hopeful and interested mm. in Sundance right now in a way that you know there was a period of time where I was like I am never going back there again and but I always mm. would you know and then I'd be either happy or not but, but I just feel I feel optimistic about the current team and so I'm mm. I'm I'm you know and I saw movies I really liked and I thought they were they were different yes definitely there were some things that were just like Jordan Peele give me a deal you know kind of thing but uh, <laughs> yeah. definitely you know. But I also felt like there was other things going on, so. But,
4: you know, the thing about, I mean, I got interested in independent film for a lot of reasons, but one of the films I always come back to was, it was a studio film that uh, was made like an independent film. It was Mean Streets. It was Mm -hmm. Scorsese's Mean Streets. Mm -hmm. And it showed me a world that I had never seen depicted on film, because Italian-American gangsters were always generic Italian-American gangsters. And this is the real thing. And suddenly in Nanny, you see, this is a world that is in a lot of different independent films, but not articulated as well. It's a world of a woman who is black and an immigrant and trying to survive in a society that really doesn't see her. And it seems to me that this is the best of a bunch of films that have that element now.
3: Mm.
4: And she's also not a victim, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. And in Kimi, Zoe is not a victim either, although she's panicked out of her mind. I mean, that's the difference between most women in Jet movies and mm-hmm. this movie. She is never, never a victim of anyone mm. else. Even though she's in great danger.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was interesting. I mean, obviously, I guess uh, the Usman semben movie came to mind with Nanny right. a little bit. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Well, Black oh, yeah.
1: Girl. Yeah. That's why I was wondering if it was going to turn into Black Girl, but it was. I mean, I think it's a touch. That's a touchstone for her, her for for sure.
0: Yeah. yeah. I just always thought at Sundance that there's something cathartic about Sundance about a lot of the movies there. But yes. then you you leave and it's like you go there for that function, but then it's not supposed to live on after that. But nanny is not a movie i think that you you forget the, the, the substance of it you know mm-hmm. no matter how it ends i don't know if mm-hmm. that that makes sense but yeah i mean
1: i i would say that the thing about the this the negative stereotype of the sundance movie when we're thinking about it is that they they're not art movies they're not art films really they're really kind of hollywood movies that have been scaled down and what i mean by hollywood <laughs> movies there's a certain kind of like there three acts often, or, or if you think they're five acts, you know, but that, you know, the character goes on the journey and something is learned and the audience feels better, you know, and <laughs> you know, and like, I will never forget seeing safe. Which did not make the audience happy. I mean, just say that <laughs> movie was not well received there at all. It was. I was there for the premiere. I think Amy and I were. We were alone.
4: there. We were at the yeah. Egyptian, and no one yeah, liked it except us.
1: People were <laughs> angry at that movie. You know, it, it was it disturbed their peace. It was not the nice little tidy package. You know, and I think that if there's a problem with 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 the Sundance, when well, we're talking again, the cliches because Sundance mm-hmm. is so much bigger than the cliche the cliched Sundance movie is too pat, you know, and that, and I think that, I don't think that Nanny is. And I think that maybe no. is also why we're talking about it in this
3: mm-hmm, way. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually I, 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 about safe, how, how often does that happen now that there's a movie that you know, most everyone doesn't like, I mean, for better or worse, it does seem that movies do have, you know, their, their, their champions now, I don't know. Partly because of the number of people who are, who are who are seeing and and writing about stuff now, does that exist? The movie that is thirty years, twenty five years later, is a stone cold classic, or even five years later. But but at the time, it very very in the minority of people liking it. Mm, that's a good question.
4: I think there I think there are, but they're not coming to mind. But mm. I think there are a lot of those movies and. This period we're in now, where everyone is at home streaming everything, is this period of rediscovery of movies that exactly Mm. had that reaction. Like everything from personal problems that when I showed it at the kitchen, people just hated this movie. Why are you showing that? People are just rediscovering movies that at the moment they came out did really, really badly. And so people don't understand why they don't have didn't have audiences. Uh, and it's partly because they were ahead of their time. Yeah. Safe was certainly ahead of its time in every way.
0: It is not quite the same phenomenon I'm thinking of, but I have to admit, I've to a certain extent been sort of surprised by the just scale of success and recognition that drive my car has gotten just mm. to think of something reason i mean that's something that was praised i think it won. i think it won, won the screenplay award it can but to look at it say last july and then look at it now you know i suppose it wasn't so conceivable for parasite as well in its journey mm-hmm. but but this is a film like i don't i don't i don't even, I don't even totally understand how it's happened i mean yeah. i'm happy i love the movie but
1: I, it is weird right yeah <laughs> very yeah, weird,
0: weird. Yeah. It's
1: so weird. I mean, yay, but weird.
0: Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to make of it.
1: I don't know either. I mean, and I have people, I mean, I was talking to some people, we had a a meeting at, uh, at the, at the times and there's a, and people were talking about seeing it and how they were going to the theater and they couldn't get two seats together. And, you know, <laughs> but I, it's, which is, you know, awesome. I mean, I keep uh there's a theater here where I, I sometimes see screenings and it's a, They'll show. They'll have a screening before they have their first matinee, and I always ask, "Well, what's the movie? You know, what what is everyone seeing?" And you know, it was it was like so I forget what it was. It was some movie. It was a it was a studio movie. And then she said, "Oh, and 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 drive my car." And I'm just, <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it was awesome. I was like, I was like, really? <laughs> I'm so confused. when people are, you know, it's. I mean, I'm sure the distributors really, really confused, but excited. But
0: yeah, it's it's sort of a, I don't know, like opposites there. It's bizarre world where it's like couldn't I get it ticket to drive my car. It's like,
1: right. I'd like to read that story. Yeah. I mean, if it was being released by a24 or something, I would understand it. But like otherwise, I literally don't understand what's happening.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, now we know what's going to happen, of course. There's going to be a whole Drive My Car universe franchise. and Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the, the Drive
1: my bus,
3: yeah, Drive,
0: Drive
1: my scooter. Yes.
0: <laughs> uh, well, um, I think we can bring things in for the end of our, our, our journey here. I don't want to keep uh, ah. too long. Here. But, uh, Amy, I know you had, there was one other uh, movie. I just also since it sort of falls in with, you know, kind of new directions at Sundance. Uh, and it's uh, a really beautifully made movie. I don't know if you want to just say a couple things. Yeah, just
4: up. really quickly. I don't know yeah. that it's a new direction at Sundance because it's a dock, And usually mm-hmm. the docs at Sundance are a safer bet than the fiction mm-hmm. films. It's called All That Breathes. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, oh. by an Indian director, Shonak Sen.
1: Oh, yeah. I watched it because of you. That's right. I, I watched it. Yeah.
4: That and Nanny are the two movies I took away from Sundance and thought these were a reason to look at forty movies and just to find these two. Mm. Uh, There were other good movies, but this is an amazing movie. It's so special. I don't know really how to talk about it. He made another documentary before this also about Delhi and also about four people in Delhi, uh, and that was called had sleepless in the title and it was about how homeless people found places to sleep and what hoops people had to jump through just to you know to get a bed for the night this is about these two brothers who are muslims and live in a very poor section of delhi and since their teenage years they have been acting as amateur veterinarians for kites which kites are birds Uh, i didn't really know that they're meat eaters they're predators
1: they're raptors raptors. raptors. Uh, Mm -hmm.
4: so they're like smaller vultures and as one of these brothers says at the beginning if there weren't kites the garbage in Mm -hmm. delhi would reach the sky Mm -hmm. and so they have a real function but they're also very fragile, and the reason they are so fragile isn't in the movie, and it's too awful, and I don't want to talk about it. But these birds frequently simply fall out of the sky with broken wings or they're diseased, and these brothers take care of them Hmm. because they had ambition to be bodybuilders, and so they had all these books and magazines about anatomy, and they apply that to treating the birds. And they're pretty much... You know, I think probably most everyone, including their families, think they are nuts. But they apply for grants, and eventually, toward the end of this movie, one of them does get a a grant to come to the United States and work in some kind of environmental center, because, you know, these birds are essential. It's called All That Breathes. Right. And Mm -hmm. it really is about how our kinship is with Everything that breathes, you know, not just people who are like us and other people, but every creature that breathes is part of us. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've never seen that expressed in a movie without being just kind of, you know.
2: Sentimental or
4: something. Yeah. Sticky, nice, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But.
2: Yeah, the, this photography, the, the photography so so articulates that in all these interesting mm. ways, I think. Mm. that cinematography, um, But those brothers, you know, I think the fun thing about documentaries is that over the years, and I feel like I got much of, you know, an education in this from Sundance to some degree, it's just the sense that, you know, documentaries have stars.
0: They have mm-hmm. characters
2: that completely, you know, just mean as much to me as any fiction character in a lot of ways. And these two brothers are, so touching.
3: Oh, yeah.
2: And they have these sort of epic concerns in some ways, right? They're like they're one of them that wants mm-hmm. to just stay and do that and one who wants to like do more, you know, and it's like those tensions, I just think that filmmaker really pulled off something very special because it has those big themes, those sort of, you know, emotionally epic themes. Um, and they're so tender, those guys, and so interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then yeah. it has exciting, exciting moments like when one of the kites steals... <laughs> One of the uh, glasses off of his face. That's an amazing moment. <laughs> 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 it's <a> beautiful <laughs> so, Lisa Lisa mentioned Miha and Amy mentioned all that breeze. I just want to just, uh, two other movies. Lisa, did you see Navalny or not? I forget.
2: Uh, yes, I did. Um, and so I, I did too. That. Yeah, that. that speaking of, wow. Yeah, mm.
1: wow. Yeah, we all, I think we were all like that very, very much. Um, yeah. That was and I just thought it was this I don't know I, what I was thinking, but um there are not a lot of movies where you watch and you know, if you've read about Navalny, you have a sense of him, but there's not a lot of movies where you go, Holy shit <laughs> exactly. is such an amazing holy shit sequence in that movie. It really does. And it we is. cannot we cannot talk about it because I don't want to destroy it for people because but it is it's a shocking, shocking moment.
4: Well, film. I wrote about it because oh, okay. I thought everyone knew about it. I won't say it here because I read the whole story on Bellingcat because I subscribe uh, to Bellingcat. Yeah, yeah,
3: and yeah, I think, yeah.
4: you know, if I could do my life over again and go back 40 years, I'd call up Bellingcat and say, can I come and work for you? Because mm-hmm. yeah. that is just a great <laughs> collective of, absol- of journalists. Just yep. fantastic. So, I mm-hmm. had read that story in detail, oh, but okay. seeing yeah. it on the screen happening. Yeah. I it, cannot it, believe what you are seeing in here. No, you cannot. It is it's literally. It's
2: thrilling and it's ridiculous and it's so compelling, that moment. I mean, I just think it's so amazing for something to be chilling and also like weirdly a hoot to watch. To yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: You no, know, it really is one of those you look at the person, you're, you know, you're like, Oh my God!
2: Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty it great. A, it's pretty amazing. It Ten
1: exclamation point <laughs> of text, you know. Um, yeah. I I just want to throw out one little uh title. Also, I liked. Um, it was a Mexican movie called Dos Estaciones. Oh yes. I'm sorry, my Spanish is horrible. Um, and it's about a, a woman who owns a tequila factory that is doing very poorly, and it's a small movie. And initially, I thought it was too under, you know, the art film, of course, has its own cliches and banalities. And like initially, I was worried it was gonna be too much like a kind of following an art film template, but it actually is more interesting. And one of the things I like a lot about it is that you learn how tequila is made. And that's mm. interesting. I, I don't drink tequila, but it's very much about work. Mm. And so like, you actually watch the product, like, the how the agaves are picked and how you know and you're from field through the factory to the bottling but you're also watching a woman trying to hold on to a family artisanal uh tequila factory in an area where a lot of like american celebrities have started tequila brands some of which were being promoted at sundance which was kind of weird that Um, was very weird yeah, yeah. Um but it's a small movie but I liked it very very much and it's another movie cuz you Lisa you were talking about Mihawk like the movie suddenly follows a different character. This movie does the same thing where suddenly we're following a hairdresser for a while and I was like, "Okay, I'm not sure what's going on." Here, <laughs> but, I, but I we just leave a
4: trans on. hairdresser.
1: She's a trans hairdresser and she just um and and, uh, and our tequila owner is very non-binary you just have, like i was like i'm not sh- i think it's a woman and then i was like oh yeah you know she dresses like a man and has tiny little earrings and she has very short hair like and the movie draws like no attention to that at all it's just like following people you know in their lives it's mm. compact um and I, I really enjoyed it
4: and much, she the actor not the the hairdresser but the yes. actors the owner she won the acting prize at Sunday.
1: Yeah, she won she an won. acting prize, which was great. And she's, she's
0: really special.
1: Yeah, I agreed.
0: Yeah, I, I thought she was amazing. Yeah.
1: She has great presence, really, really great presence.
0: Yeah, on this like second to second level. I even think of like this mundane scene where she's uh, sitting with her, basically becomes her business partner and is deciding like whether to give her some papers or not. Something like that becomes like.
1: Oh, but her love, her potential yeah. love interest, who we all, mm-hmm. see, that becomes a part. Yeah, no, and that's. Yeah, but it's such a good movie about work, and you really, mm-hmm. this is a non. I mean, the other problem with too many American movies is they explain everything. You know, I'm I feel this way, and you're making me feel this. It's like listening to a conversation with my husband. You're making me feel this way. No, it's like <laughs> things are just or your friends, but this is silence, and you learn stuff about her interior her interior state through the filmmaking, and that that's just wonderful.
0: That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right, shall we? Uh, shall we finish there, or uh, any parting thoughts or?
2: Well, thank you for bringing us together. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I had a great time. Thank you.
0: Thank you for doing it. Yeah. Just for the sake of uh, giving my last things, I, I saw on the plane. I couldn't couldn't sleep, so I, I watched a bunch of nineties things. I watched Strange Days and The Bodyguard, which was it. A-
1: oh oh what a funny that's duo. a fun
2: double bill.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely did not sleep after that as well. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, but yeah. Thank you so much for 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 yeah t- taking the time for this. It was really kind of a dream come true. So
2: <laughs> it was <laughs> delightful, it was really fun. Yeah. Thank you, Bye-bye. thank you all. Thank you.
0: Bye. You've been listening to the last thing I saw with your host Nicholas Rapold. Please consider signing up at rapold.substack.com. Special thanks to the Minarets for the opening music. Thank you for listening.